All right, obviously that's a cheese commercial, but my purpose and my use of it this morning is to point out the fact that we ought to always be willing to fight. Uh, there are some people that as soon as adversity hits them, they somehow choose to give up. There are others who do not, or we're just eating the wrong cheese. Uh, one or the other is taking place, but it is important for us to be people who are willing to stand up and fight for what we know to be true. And a part of the reason that we do that often is because of the fact that we have a love that is rooted in more than just ourselves. We have a love that is rooted in God and what he has done for us. I will tell you that God loves you so much that he will fight for you. And today we're going to be looking specifically at what it looks like for us to have the heart of God, for us to follow after the heart of God. I got a couple scripture verses that I'd like to share with you. Uh, the first one comes from 1 Samuel chapter 13. The second one will come from Acts chapter 13. Both of them actually coincide with each other. In fact, they state almost identically the exact same thing. The first one from 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 says this, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people. That man whom God had sought out was David, who would be the king of Israel. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, we read, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. My first question this morning is, if God were to examine your heart, would he look to you and say, you are a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart? You know, David is one of the most illustrious, interesting, and inspiring characters of the Bible. He was a shepherd. He was a giant killer. Of course, he was also a mighty warrior. He was a talented musician. And he was probably the greatest king of the Old Testament to lead the people of Israel. But David also had a very dark side to his character. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of murder. His arrogant disobedience of God's prohibition to conduct a census led to the death of more than 70,000 citizens. Even with these moral and personal failures... God said of David, he is a man after my own heart. Why would David be called a man after God's own heart? Well, before answering this important question, I want to make a few basic observations about God's evaluation of David, and it applies with us today as well. The first thing that you can note is that God obviously has a heart. If he's a man after God's own heart, that means God has a heart. Some issues capture his favor or his affection or attention. This tells us that God is a real being with similar attributes to us. It makes sense since we were created in his image. God has a heart. He cares about the people whom he has created. Probably the greatest example of this is through the life of Jesus Christ. 
who as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over the city, indicating his love for them, his compassion for them. He wanted so much for them to understand what was taking place right in front of their very eyes. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was about to come to town, yet they were going to cry, crucify him, crucify him when he got there. Or when Jesus came to Lazarus, After Lazarus had died and the women greeted him and they were filled with nothing but sorrow. And we're told that as Jesus saw them weeping, in the shortest verse of scripture, Jesus wept. Clearly God has a heart. God cares about the people whom he has created. The second thing that observation we can gather is that ultimately God's Evaluation is what matters, not man's evaluation. It's so easy to get caught up in the game of trying to please other people. I guess it's because we see those other people and we want them to approve of us. Yet the truth is that those other people are both temporary and insignificant to your eternity. Note there that they are not insignificant to eternity because they too have the opportunity to live in eternity. But whether Mary Nell likes me or not does not determine whether or not I please God. Hopefully she agrees with God, but that being said, she does not determine my eternity. God does. The third thing that I want you to catch here is that we can follow and capture the heart of God. It is possible for God to be pleased with us. There are those who believe that God is on the outside looking in and he's basically an observer to his creation. Uh, He has created the world in his image, but then he's gone off and he's got other things to do and he's just not concerned with what's taking place in our world today. But that makes no sense at all. Clearly, God was concerned with David and David had caught his attention and God says, he is a man after my own heart. So clearly, God was concerned with the world around him. The fact that David was sent at the time that he came, the people of Israel needed a leader. The fact that Moses was sent at the time that he came was because God knew that his people needed a leader. The fact that Jesus came when he did at just the right time was because God knew that the world needed a savior. Clearly, God is involved with creation. He continues to work and he continues to love his creation. He is very much concerned with you and I, and therefore it is possible for us to capture the heart of God. He loves us, and we are his prized possession. The last thing that I will point out, and this is one that uh, it fits very well with what I talked about last week, and uh, at the same time, don't just listen to the first part and think I'm being uh, heretical. Listen to the second part. One does not have to live a perfect life to follow the heart of God. It's a little bit in line again with what I said last week, but listen to this. You do need to have a repentant life. Repentance is more than just admitting that you have failed. It involves a sense of remorse and an intentional effort not to walk down the same path that you've walked before. Literally, it is to turn from one direction to the other, to make the choice that if this path here leads to sin, I would rather walk this path. That is repentance. It is a turning away. 
Romans 15.3 says that things in the past were written to encourage and instruct us. As we, as we examine David's life, there are four distinctive qualities that emerge that define his life as a man after God's own heart. To earnestly follow the heart of God, the first thing that I want you to recognize today is that we must declare God's praise. This is one of the most recognized and celebrated aspects of David's life. He consistently deflected praise that was directed toward himself, and he always declared the glory of God. Now, I understand he was an imperfect vessel. There were times that he found himself walking a path that again led toward that sin and there were times that he had to turn away from that sin. He had to confess. He had to repent. But when God moved in his life, he was quick to give the praise to God as opposed to taking it upon himself. It is an overwhelming task to analyze all the wonderful expressions of praise and thanksgiving and worship that are included in the Psalms, which David is credited with writing many of the Psalms, as well as other scriptures that record David's praise. There's a man, his name is Dr. Stephen Alford, and he said of David, he was a man after God's heart because he abounded with expressions of praise more than anyone mentioned in scripture. The blend of confessing sin and thanksgiving for the mercy of God make him wholly acceptable to God. He adds, most Americans work at their play and play at their worship. It is pathetic to listen to the attempts of some to offer prayer and praise. In light of David's devotional life, they have hardly begun. In our world today, rarely do we stop and truly give thanks to God and praise for all that he has done for us. I know we do on Sunday morning. In fact, we even during our prayer time, we thank God for the works that are taking place. But the truth is our lives ought to be an expression of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done. Each one of us was on a path that was destined for hell. There was a time that every individual who was here was actually destined for hell. But God made a way through his son Jesus Christ for us to be redeemed. And now we ought to praise him because this is no longer the path that we must walk. But rather we have been offered redemption and hope and we have a reason to praise our daily lives ought to be an expression of praise, not just our Sunday morning worship. Sunday morning worship's a great time, and we need that as well. But Monday morning praise is just as important. And Tuesday morning praise, and in the evening, and during the day, it doesn't matter where you're at. The point is, our lives ought to be an expression of praise. It is not enough just to know that God is great. We must express our worship to him. Hebrews 13, 15 reminds us that an acceptable sacrifice is the fruit of our lips. Certainly other acceptable sacrifices are mentioned in scripture, but one of the defining characteristics of David's life was his passionate declaration of praise. The second Characteristic of following the heart of God is depending on God's provision. By the way, this is, it ought to be somewhat easy for us to do 
And when you think about it, he's the one who provided everything that we have in the first place. So maybe a part of this is simply recognizing where it all came from. In the famous battle with Goliath, David refuses to wear King Saul's armor because it doesn't fit. The armor doesn't fit physically, and it also doesn't fit spiritually. David recognizes what the other soldiers failed to see. The battle against Goliath was not just a military fight. It wasn't one man against another man. It was a challenge of faith to determine one true God. And God didn't need Saul's armor to win that battle. Listen to David's response to Goliath when he ridiculed about the insufficient armor, about how small David was, basically even insulting him, saying, coming at, referring to him as a dog. You, you come at me like dogs. This is David's response. I come against you in the name of the living God of Israel whom you have defiled. He didn't necessarily need this suit of armor that would hold him up, that would actually, in reality, it would hold him back because it was too big for him and he couldn't handle it physically. He didn't need that. In fact, it wasn't as if he said, you know what, Saul, maybe we could find a, a smaller suit, one that would actually fit me a little bit better. He was a young man. He wasn't as big and strong as all of his brothers and the other soldiers that were there. He could have made an excuse, well, maybe we can do this tomorrow. Maybe we can find another suit. But instead, David was ready to fight, not because he had some suit of armor that would make him strong, but because he stood on the side of God. And he knew that what was impossible for man was not impossible for God. And David had confidence in knowing that his God would provide. In another battle prior to assuming the throne, David led his mighty men to defeat the enemy of a, an area called Ziklag. This was a critical time in David's life. Some of his men were considering rejecting his leadership. The possibility arose that they would even turn on David, this one who had been anointed by God. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that David inquired and found strength in the Lord. Even during times where people began to question his leadership and authority, David knew that the place to turn was not to his own strength. It wasn't as if he had to somehow convince these men that he was worthy of, of following. It wasn't as if he had to show them his power and might, but rather he realized that what he needed to do was to inquire of the Lord and find strength from him. While living in exile, David demonstrated tremendous trust in God's sovereignty by refusing to kill King Saul. He was willing to wait upon God's provision, knowing that in God's time, he would assume the position that God had promised to him. You know, it's easy sometimes for us to try to take things into our own hands, to do things our way. And for us to almost excuse it, saying, well, but we know that's what God wanted anyways. David knew the value of waiting on the Lord and trusting in him for the provisions, as opposed to him taking things into his own hands. David had already been anointed as the future king by the prophet Samuel, 
But David patiently waited for God's timing. Something that's really hard to do sometimes. But it is something that God honors. David's dependence is an amazing contrast to Saul's arrogance and his impatience that led to God stripping the kingdom from him and his family. Saul fell prey to what Professor Leonard Sweet calls believing the trees move the wind. David beautifully expresses his dependence on God in numerous psalms. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. You see, King David knew that the only one who could truly provide for him was God. Do you know that today? Do you know that the one who provides for everything is not you? Do you know that it's not your parents? Do you know that it's not your spouse? Do you know that it's not your employer? But rather it is the King of kings and Lord of lords who has opened up every door for you. He continues to provide trust in his provisions. The third characteristic deals with desiring God's presence. Closely related to David's commitment to declare God's praise is his desire to seek God's presence. Public praise is a vital part of our journey of faith. We need to seek the Lord and to experience God's blessing corporately. Our corporate praise should flow from our personal communion with God. As each of us come on Sunday morning, we worship and we look forward sometimes to a great time of worship. I don't know about you, but I drive down the road and I'm thinking to myself, man, what a great day of worship this is going to be. But the reality is worship doesn't begin when we all gather together in this place. Worship ought to begin at home. As we begin to seek the Lord and the moment we wake up, we begin to cry out to him and simply ask that his spirit would move upon us. And what happens is when you begin to seek the Lord with all of your heart, do you know what you, you find? Him. <laughs> and when you come together for a time of worship and you've already been seeking the Lord and others have been seeking the Lord as well, it is so easy for us to experience the presence of God because each one of us brings him with us. When we experience personal communion with him, we also experience corporate times of worship with him. Just as an iceberg reveals only a portion of its size on top of the water, with the greater portion remaining under the water, David has a passion for pursuing the presence of God. And there are times that we see that passion, but what he did on his own during those personal times where it was just he and the Lord is what made it possible for him to experience the presence of the Lord and everybody else. You see, the reality is each of us can experience the presence of God, but it must begin with us experiencing that personal presence of God. He desires to be real to us and not just on Sunday morning but every moment of our lives. David's confessions of sin are examples of his desire to dwell in the presence of God. 
There were times that David, he knew what it was to be in the presence of God. There were times that the Spirit moved upon him so powerfully that there was no question God was there in that moment. Imagine David during those moments where sin had crept in. And he had to pray that same prayer that often we use on Sunday morning. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a steadfast spirit, a right spirit in me. David knew what it was to be in the presence of the Lord. And now all of a sudden sin has crept in and he begins to almost feel alienated from God. I know nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But for David, sin was a problem. So he cried out to the Lord with a heart of repentance and he asked for God's grace. And As he asked for God's grace, once again, the presence of God became real to him. For every one of us here today, there have been times that we have allowed sin to creep into our lives. And the result is often the feeling of almost like we're walking through this dry desert and the Spirit of God is nowhere near us. The reality is God's love is still being extended to us. And he simply says, if you will confess, if you will repent, if you will turn to me, you will once again experience the presence of God. Because I am faithful and I will always be there for you. But at times, sin keeps us from experiencing that. David's desire to experience the presence of God was so real that he could not remain in his sin. He had to confess. He had to repent. His greatest fear was being separated from the God that he loved. Would it bother you to be separated from the God that you love? I hope that it would. But I wonder if sometimes we're so focused on the sin that we enjoy that we lose sight of what that sin costs us. The fourth thing that I want to point out is I'm convinced one of the primary reasons God described David as a man after his own heart was that he never stopped believing in the mighty power of God. We ought to display God's power in our lives. David never stopped believing that the almighty God desires to manifest his power and his glory upon the earth. As a teenager, David believed that God would deliver him from Goliath, even when all of the other soldiers were scared and hiding, even the king whom David would have had incredible respect for. David believed that Goliath was no match for God. Just as, he, just as God had provided for David with a lion and a bear earlier on. Later, as king, David wanted to build a temple that would display the glory and the majesty of God. Very few saints live with a desire to experience the supernatural power of God. Most are content to attend church, sing a few songs, learn biblical principles that will make life a little bit easier. David lived according to the prayer of Moses that's found in Psalm chapter 90, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, 
Establish the work of our hands. David believed that God wanted to demonstrate divine favor, the supernatural blessing through his life as a shepherd and as the king of Israel. You see, the reality is many of us have settled for, medi- settled for mediocre Christianity. We are content with saying, well, I go to church every week. I tithe. I listen to some biblical stuff. I enjoy singing those songs. I may even sing them in my car. Isn't that enough? And I'm telling you that God desires to move in such a mighty way that nobody could take any credit for it except to say that God did it. Joshua, as he took the Israelites into the promised land, the first place that they went was a city called Jericho. Jericho was a city with huge walls that almost seemed insurmountable. They could take every other city in the promised land, but no, God wanted them to start in Jericho. Why? Because God was going to do a mighty work and nobody would be able to take any credit for it except to say that God himself had done it. God gives Joshua a battle plan. And truthfully, it is the dumbest battle plan any general could ever come up with. You guys are going to go and you're going to march around the city and then you're going to go home. The next day, you're going to go and you're going to march around the city and then you're going to go home and you're going to do this for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to go and you're going to march around the city. Seven times around the city. And then everybody's going to shout. You guys are going to make as much noise as possible. You're going to blow your trumpets and the walls are just going to fall down. Boy, that is a ridiculous battle plan. It would never work, except it wasn't Joshua's battle plan. This was God's battle plan. I believe today that God wants to do such a mighty work in our lives that we could never take credit for it. I believe that God wants to take those things that seem completely impossible and he wants to make them possible in us to where we can't take any credit for it. The pastor can't take any credit for it. The church can't take any credit for it. Only God can take credit for the work that he does. And David's life... He believed that God had that power and that God desired to do such a mighty work. Do you believe that God desires to do that mighty work? This type of living is what Henry Blackaby calls believing God for God-sized tasks. It is what the Lord Jesus prayed for his followers, that they would bear much fruit for the Father's glory. The Bible is clear that God is pleased by lives that demonstrate great faith. The righteous live by faith, according to Romans 1.17. Hebrews 11.6 declares that it is impossible to please God without faith. In his book, Fresh Faith, Jim Cimbala identifies the greatest theft by Satan is from the church. Because of some abuses by some in the Christian community, followers of Christ do not believe God wants to display his power anymore. You don't find David saying the great demonstrations of power were regulated to the days of Moses and Joshua. David prayed for supernatural anointing. He believed that just as God had moved in the past, God could move today. And he possessed a deep faith that his own life should be a reflection of God's power. 
I've actually been reading quite a bit recently of Jim Cimbala's writings. As a young pastor, he took a struggling church in Brooklyn, New York, that was filled with broken people. And it wasn't long before he found himself broken as well. The assumption is that their brokenness rubbed off on him. In other words, he was surrounded by broken people, and basically because of that, he became broken. But that's not true. The real reason that he was broken was because he was not truly seeking the power of God in his life and ministry. And by the way, that's the same reason why his people were broken. They knew of God. They called themselves Christians. They attended church every weekend, but they did not know the power of God in their lives. The power of God in their lives doesn't show up only on Sunday morning. The power of God in their lives shows up every day of their lives. In a moment of despair, Jim Cimbala came to the realization that he and his church were merely going through the motions of their faith. If they were truly going to be filled with God's Spirit, if they were going to be this light in Brooklyn, if they were going to be whole instead of broken, then they needed to become a church that genuinely sought the Lord through prayer. That was perhaps the best decision that Jim Cimbala and his church ever made. They began to pray and God began to move in a mighty way. That small struggling church was filled with brokenness, but it became a place of hope and healing to others who were broken. And today that church remains a beacon of light to people, not just in Brooklyn, but all around the world. The church is known as the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, and thousands of people have come to Christ simply because they began to allow God's power to work in and through them. I believe God wants to do the same thing through the people here. I believe that God wants to move in such a mighty way that nobody can take credit for it except to say that God is the one who is doing that mighty work. But in order for that to happen, we must genuinely seek him above everything else. C.S. Lewis said, when we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies because we cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're satisfied with what we have. God says, but I have so much more to give. My question for you today is, will you adapt the heart that David had? You see, David had a heart that was basically patterned after the heart of God. He trusted in God for everything. There were times David fell short. There were times that David made foolish choices and he had to repent. He allowed sin in his life, but God redeemed him. 
There are going to be times that we fall short, but what a blessing to know we have a redeeming, loving God. And what a blessing for us to know that he is a God who desires to do more through us than we could ever do on our own. But it has to be more than Sunday. It has to be every day of our lives. Will you stand up and fight for God or will you lay down and just let things happen? Will you be that mouse that's stuck in the trap just laying there? Or will you continue to fight? I believe that God desires that we stand up and fight for him. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are so grateful for you. As we come before you, we recognize that we are imperfect people. And there have been times that we have fallen short of your glory. We have fallen short of the expectations that you have laid out for us. But nothing, absolutely nothing, shall separate us from the love of God. Which means that if we will only repent, you will redeem. And you will once again fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray right now that each one of us, whether we walk through those really dark valleys right now and we are crying out, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I pray that at this moment, regardless of how we came into this service today, that we would genuinely experience your presence in our lives and that we would find true fulfillment from you. And then I pray that for every individual who is here, that as we seek you, as we experience you, not just in a corporate setting like this, but at home, when we're in our cars, when we're at work, wherever we may be, as we seek your presence, Lord, I pray that you would begin to move in such a mighty way in and through us that nobody could take any credit except for you. Lord, I pray that your power would be on display and that we would be quick to give you the praise, to point people to you so that they recognize that you are the one who makes this possible. Lord, allow our lives to be a voice of praise. For you are a redeeming God. You have redeemed us. And now you have made us a part of something that's far bigger than ourselves. Lord, help us to live not for the approval of others, but for the approval of our God. And as we do, Lord, we just ask that your will would be done in us. Thank you again for each of these folks that are here. I look forward to seeing how you work in them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.